want to tell you, I want to tell you a story about a princess. Princess was the name of my childhood horse growing up. Uh, my, we spent our summers in Montana, and my dad used to grow, he grew up riding horses, and I was one of those little girls who loved horses. And so my dad bought Princess for me when I was 12. Now, she'd been raised by another girl, so she really liked girls. She had ra been raised um, until this first girl turned about 15 or 16, and then she sold her, and then I got her when I was 12. And I knew Princess. I knew her really, really well. I knew her visually, as in I could spot her from a distance. Um, she had a black mane. She had white socks. She had a white blaze on her face. Um, she was a dark brown coat. She was kind of stocky because she was half Morgan, half Tennessee Walker. So I, I recognized her body. I recognized how she looked. I knew her visually. I also knew her experientially. I knew what it was like to get on her back and ride her. Being that she was half Morgan, half Tennessee Walker, she had a really fast walk. She could really step it out. But she also had an incredibly bumpy trot. I was holding on for dear life when she was trotting. And then we'd go into a nice lope, and then it would get smooth again. And I loved to ride bareback. I loved to take her into the river where there was a deep pool. And I loved that feeling where she just lifted off and started to swim like a dog paddle. And I would wrap my arms around her neck so I wouldn't float away. And it was just this most amazing experience that I shared with her. She was just an awesome, awesome horse, and I knew that she liked to eat carrots. I knew that she liked to be brushed, but I also knew her relationally. I had a relationship with her. I knew how she thought about certain things, and I knew how she would respond in certain situations. For example, I knew that if I left her alone in her corral, she would jump the fence to get out. In fact, I caught this picture once when she thought I wasn't looking. Because she was a relational being too, and she didn't like to be alone. And no matter how high the fence was, she would soar right over it. And then when I would show up the next day, I would have to get in the car with my parents, and we would drive from ranch to ranch, and we would find her in another pasture with a bunch of horses just hanging out. She would have to jump fences to get into the pasture to hang out with the other horses. And because I knew her visually, of course, I could spot her. And because she knew me, she recognized my voice. And I would call to her, and she would come trotting over to me. And then I'd have to jump on her back and ride her back to the barn because I didn't own a trailer. And eventually, I actually had to get another horse. I had to borrow one of my dad's friend's horses just to hang out with her so she would stay because she was not containable unless she had a friend. And so I knew that about her. But I also knew other things about her relationally. In fact, I knew that she didn't really like anybody else on her back but me. When my friends or my cousins would get on her, she would just take off running, and she was completely uncontrollable. No matter how they pulled back on the reins or steered from right to left, she just ran with them. She'd find a low-lying branch and try to knock them off, or she'd rub really close to a tree and try to crush their legs. But you know what? When I was on her back, she was amazing. 
she never ran away with me. She actually would go out of her way to walk around low-lying branches. She would tiptoe across streams. She would gently go over logs. She would step away from anything that would brush against me. She took such good care of me. I trusted her, and she trusted me. We had this very knowing relationship. Well, having princess, having a horse, really also taught me a lot about my relationship with God. It taught me about God and his knowability to me and to us. God is knowable. We can know a lot about him. We can know him factually. We can gather a lot of information about him, right? We can also know him experientially as we engage in our world, as we see reflections of his creative glory in nature, as we have encounters with people or experience miracles in different ways, we can have experiences with him. But we also can know him relationally. We can know how he thinks about certain things. We can know how he reacts in special circumstances. We can know what he enjoys. That's relational knowledge. And we can know this by understanding his character which is what we're studying this year. We can observe it, of course. We can observe certain things about him in creation. We can learn a lot about him in the Bible as we read scripture. But most intimately, we come to know God through a relationship with his son, Jesus Christ. And today, that's what I want to talk to you about. I want to talk to you about how we can come to know God, the eternal creator of the universe, in an intimate, personal way, through his son, Jesus Christ, who is our Lord. So I want to talk about just two things. First, I want to talk about how God invites us to know him. And then I want to talk about how Jesus Christ is the one who makes God known to us. And then what we're going to learn is that God has made himself known to us through Jesus Christ. So first of all, let's talk about how God invites us to know him. Last week, of course, we talked about how God was incomprehensible. We talked, remember, about this is the God who has created more than 200 million galaxies. I mean, that's all we know about. Can you imagine how much we don't know about? 200 million galaxies is all we can see. God is incomprehensible. And he is so far beyond our grandest ideals. How can we ever really understand him? How can we wrap our minds around him? We think about him keeping the planet spinning, keeping the sun shining. The temptation I think that we have is to think, well, does God really care about me? Does, do I really matter to him? I mean, if he's spinning the planets and keeping the sun shining and holding all of this together, does he, does he really care about my little earthly life and my minor little circumstances and Am I really that important to him? I'm so small compared to his greatness. And the answer is, yes, he does. He cares about you and he cares about me because he made us. He created us. And we also are very complicated, which we know about ourselves, not only in our personalities, in our life that we here have on earth, just even in the intricacies of our bodies, we're very complicated. We're masterpieces. He created us and he, he cares intimately about us. And he has made us to know him, and he has made himself knowable to us. In fact, in the book of Hosea, which is in the Old Testament, in chapter 6, 
he tells his people that he would rather that they know him than even make sacrifices to him. He says, For I desire steadfast love and not sacrifice, the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. So God extends himself to us with an invitation for us to know him. And we know him through his word, we know him through scripture, um, and we know that the pages of the Bible actually speak directly into our lives. God's word is a living word. And he delights in us when we invest time to get to know him, which is what we're doing all year. All year we're saying, we're studying about the greatness of God. We're investing time in trying to get to know him. Jeremiah speaks of this in Jeremiah 9, 23 and 24. Thus says the Lord, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. But let him who boasts, boast in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord, who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. Do you realize that knowing God is the essence of eternal life? That's what eternal life is. It's knowing God. You know, it, it begins when we enter into a knowing relationship with him, and then it continues throughout all of our earthly life until we step into his presence when we enter into heaven. It begins knowing him here, and then it translates into knowing him for all eternity and being in his presence with him. This is what Jesus speaks of when he's speaking to the Father. He's praying, and in John 17, 3, he says, And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you've sent. And you see, knowing God changes everything. It changes everything about life, and it changes everything about death. This week, I know of three people who have lost loved ones in our congregation. And a week ago, we lost somebody who was a part of our River West community. His name was Ralk. And I don't even pronounce his last name, but let me tell you about Ralk. Ralk was a man who was an usher here. And if you came to River West, you might have recognized him. He always wore a faded blue jean jacket. And he had a ring of keys that jingled everywhere he went. And he, he had a keen eye for watching over who came through the door. And sometimes he'd run over to the connect table on Sundays and find me, and he'd say, have you seen our girl? Is she here? Because there was a particular woman that week that he was watching over to make sure she didn't fall away and just stop coming to church. And there were many people like that. He just kind of watched over. Well, um, Relk, you also might know, he actually owned the Christian bookstore in town, for heaven's sake. So for years, people knew him in that context, and it's been said that if you went into the bookstore and you didn't have money to buy a Bible, he would just take it off the shelf and hand it to you. He didn't want money. He wanted you to have the Word of God. About a year ago, he got diagnosed with stage 4 cancer and was actually told he probably wasn't going to live very long. Well, Ralph had eternal life. He had received Jesus. He was living out the call of his life, which was to tell other people the good news about Jesus and to love people and to watch over them. And, and so being diagnosed with cancer didn't stop that. He just kept on. He was in the hospital, and he was telling doctors and nurses, do you know Jesus Christ? He was sharing the good news of the gospel. And every time he'd get to the brink of death, he'd have a turnaround. 
And he'd live two or three more months, and then he'd get to the brink of death, and everyone was like, what is going on? Every time we're ready to say goodbye, he's back. And that kept going, and he came to church, and he just, he had an amazing testimony for Christ, even up to the minute that he died. And then a week ago, he left the body and stepped into the presence of the Lord. He went from life to life because he knew, he knew God, and to know God is to have eternal life. And he lived that life here on earth, and then one day he stepped into the presence of Jesus, and he continues to live that life even now. The thing is about Christianity, it's, it's not about having a religious experience with a vague and distant God. It's about an invitation to know, to enter into a relationship with the one true God who is both knowable and personal. So what I want you to know is that God invites us to know him and to enjoy a relationship with him forever. It's not just about knowing him. It's knowing him and enjoying him. Because knowing God brings great enjoyment of who he is. It's a whole different kind of life when you live life in a knowing relationship with God. Actually, knowing God is the greatest thrill of the human heart. You know, to live life with a perspective about life that he gives, with truth and wisdom from his word that he gives, with the comfort that he provides, with the wisdom, uh, discernment, helping spirit that he provides. All of that that comes with knowing God changes our perceptions of life, which is why so many are dealing with hopelessness and despair and confusion and chaos and sin and brokenness and they are longing for a knowing relationship with God. As I was spending some time this weekend kind of reflecting on this topic, I was thinking about how blessed we're going to be this year. I mean, we're going to be thinking about these things about God, you know, daily between now and next May. Can you imagine how much joy is going to be poured into our hearts when we get to the end of this this season? You know, think of how focusing and thinking about God is going to change just how we feel about him and how we feel about our lives. But I want to give you some practical things to, uh, to f- how you might apply knowing God to your study this year. Four R words, so you can write them down if you'd like. But how do we go about engaging in our study and really coming to know him? So the first word is receive. Listen to his word and receive it into yourself. Apply it. Allow the Holy Spirit to take the things that you're learning about God and apply it to your life. Receive from him with an open heart and an open mind and set out to grow and apply what you're learning. The second word is reflect. Take time to reflect on the different attributes of God as we go through them. Remember, these first two lessons are kind of a flyover looking at this from a distance. But now, starting next week, we're going to go deep into these attributes. So take some time to reflect on them. Make some mental notes of how you see them in your world being lived out, how you recognize God's attributes in your daily life. Maybe journal. Resist the temptation just to collect a lot of information, just to check the boxes and do the questions and get the right answers. Try to really meditate and reflect on these concepts. The third is respond. Respond to his invitation to do what he commands. Obedience is actually not a popular word among adults. 
But don't we love obedience in our kids? As a parent, you tell your children, you know, don't, don't run out in the street. Eat all your vegetables. Be kind to your teachers. We tell them things because we know it's going to go well for them. We know it's going to save their lives potentially. You know, we are wiser and smarter, and we give them instructions, and when they obey, it pleases us. But it's the same way with God because the Bible is his instruction manual to us. It's, it's his love letter, but it's also his manual for how we can live lives that are protected and blessed and secure in his love. And so when he gives us instructions, it's actually meant for our best good. And so be open to that. Respond to it. When, you, when you, the Holy Spirit taps you on the shoulder and calls you to do something about what you're learning, I want to encourage you to go for it. And then last is rejoice. Just rejoice in the love that he has shown you, the fellowship that you share with him. Worship him in song, in nature, in wherever you find yourself. And be grateful. Be grateful for his goodness, for answered prayer, for thanks. be thankful for the things that he has blessed you with. Um, allow God to pour joy into your heart and, and ask him to give you eyes to see the ways in which he is taking care of you. Have an attitude of rejoicing. And the other thing I want to just challenge you about is to make sure that you're enjoying God. Sometimes I think we get so busy with our children, with our husbands, in our workplaces, in our ministries, trying to help everybody else enjoy him. And what we need to do is make sure we're first enjoying him. You know, it's that whole concept of put the oxygen mask on yourself first and breathe. Spend time with him before you do that for somebody else. And so if you, if you apply any one of those R's to your study this year, you're going to get so much out of it because he's inviting you to know him and he wants you to enjoy him along the way. But then let's look at the second part. How do we know him? Well, it's Jesus Christ who makes him known to us. God invites us to know him and he makes himself known by putting on flesh and being born into the human race. The Bible explains, as we talked about last week, that Jesus is God the Son. He's the second person of the Trinity, and he is the visible image of the invisible God. Let's look at Colossians and see how Paul speaks of Jesus. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross." Last week, we talked about the triune nature of God. We talked about God being three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And we talked about how all three function together in the Godhead, but they, they have one mind and one purpose, but they have different functions. And the Bible makes it clear that God the Son always existed. God the Son wasn't born. He wasn't born into the world when Mary gave birth to him. That's not when he was born. He existed before. He has always existed. He, um, 
Scripture reveals that God the Son was active in the creation of the world, which is what, ironically, we're talking about in the book of Genesis on Sunday mornings. Genesis 1.1 says that God made, created the heavens and the earth. God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit created the heavens and the earth. And we see the plural nature of God in Genesis 1.26 when God said, let us make man in our image. And then in John 1, we also see that in the beginning was the Word. And in Scripture, the Word is another name for God the Son or the Logos. It's another word. They're interchangeable. And so in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning, and through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. So God the Son, also known as the Logos, the Word, then took on human form and became the man that we know as Jesus Christ. This happened undisputably at a particular moment in history. It happened several thousand years ago. It happened on a particular day, and it's the day that we now commemorate as Christmas, the day that God, the Son, took on human form and was born into the world. And now, today, he remains uniquely God-man forever and ever. Now, This was predicted, actually, in the Old Testament. In the book of Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah predicted this would happen. In Isaiah 7.14, he said, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. Then, fast forward to the book of Matthew in the New Testament, this was stated again, as it was actually happening. Matthew 1.23, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Then, in the book of John, John speaks of this. He explains it, that the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. The book of Philippians explained how this happened. How did God the Son, who existed from the very beginning, How did he leave the throne room of heaven and be born in human flesh through a virgin, God with us? It's explained in Philippians 2, 5 through 11, where he says, Have this in mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father." Martin Luther commented on this, and he said, The mystery of the humanity of Christ, that he sunk himself into our flesh, is beyond all human understanding, isn't it? Now, according to Jesus, he says, The only way that we can know God is by knowing him. He says that in John 14, 9. He says, Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. And then in John 14, 6, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So it's through Jesus that we understand the character of God. 
we understand who God is. We understand his attributes as we look at Jesus. Jesus reveals the nature of God just the way that God revealed his nature to Moses, which we talked about last week. Do you remember last week when Moses asked to see, to, to see God's glory? And God said, you can't see my glory and live. His glory is so brilliant, it would extinguish Moses. But he told him, I'm going to stick you in a cleft of a rock, and I'm going to reveal my identity to you. And as he passed, he gave him words. He gave him his attributes. Remember, he said that he is merciful and gracious and slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, forgiving sin and yet just to punish um, evil. God didn't allow him to see his face, but rather he gave Moses these words. Well, now God has come to earth and he's veiled his glory in human flesh so that mankind can look upon him and see him. But most importantly, by looking at Jesus, we're able to see the character of God in such a way that we can know him intimately. Because who is a greater example of mercy and grace and slow to anger and steadfast love and faithfulness? Who makes it possible for sin to be forgiven? Who's coming back in judgment to judge evil? It's Jesus. So Jesus reveals the Father to us. Jesus reveals God to us because he embodies the characters of God, but he's veiled in human flesh so we don't die looking at his glory. His glory is veiled. But you know, in Scripture, there were times when the glory was exposed. The transfiguration and other times when God showed his, shined his glory through his human flesh. But it's through Jesus that we get to know the character and the nature of God. He is a perfect, spirit-filled man, fully man and fully God. So God is inviting us to know him personally, and he does it through faith in Jesus Christ. Do you know him personally? Do you have a personal relationship with him? I want to share with you six key words that represent key truths about knowing God. And if you know God, if you had a relationship with him, then write these down because I bet you could use these six key words to prompt you how to share about him with somebody else. Maybe there's somebody at work or someone in your family or a neighbor. And if you memorize these words, they'll help you talk through how somebody could get to know God. And if you don't know him, then, then listen as I share these six key words with you and these verses. And I'd really like you to just ask the Lord if he is not inviting you to know him. If he isn't working on your heart right now and welcoming you into a personal relationship with him through his son, Jesus Christ. The first word is love. God loves you, and he loves me. John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. He loves you because he made you. He knows you intimately. He sees you in all your potential. He wants to, you to know how much he loves you. The second word is life. God wants you to enjoy an abundant life, not just, not just an empty life, a hollow life, but an abundant life. 
John 10.10, Jesus said, I came that they may have it, have life and have it abundantly. Abundant life like Relk had, a life that, that was full of the Holy Spirit, that was impassioned to tell people about Jesus, that was watching over people that he cared about, giving away Bibles and testifying the truth of the gospel to everyone he met. It's a life that's filled with God. It's a life that's full and rich. That's the kind of life. A, knowing, a life living in a knowing relationship with the Almighty God and a life that's guided by him and empowered by him and blessed by him. The third word is sin. We are sinful at the core of our being. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We've just failed to live up to God's holy standards. God is so holy and so perfect and so just and merciful, and we just fall short. And he gave us the Ten Commandments just as an example of what we would need to do to live up to his perfect standards. And even if you haven't broken all those commandments and deeds, you've broken them in your heart, in your attitudes. And even if you haven't done that, I'll guarantee you haven't met commandment number one. You've put other things before God. You haven't loved him with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, loved your neighbor as yourself. So no matter how we slice it, we just don't meet his holy standards. We have fallen short. And... We are hardwired just at the core for independence and self-sufficiency, and we're completely passive about the things of God. And so that leads us to number four, separation. The result of sin is there's a separation between us and God. There's a, a gulf that just can't be crossed. And Romans 6.23 says the wages of sin is death. So sin leads to death. The payment for sin is death. Death is separation. As I shared, three people that I know in our community lost people they dearly loved this week. And that is a physical death that also shows us what spiritual death is like. It's a ripping apart. Death rips people apart from each other. You can no longer be near someone that has died. And when, because of sin, we are spiritually ripped apart from God. We can't get near to him because we have the sin in the midst of us. No matter how good we try to be, we can't be good enough to bridge that gulf. And so that leads us to the fifth word, which is death. But this time it's not our death, it's Jesus' death. The death of Jesus Christ in our place is the only acceptable provision or payment for our sin. But through Jesus, we can experience the depth of God's love again. Romans 5.8 says, But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And John 14.6 again, Jesus reminds us, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Sin requires a death. And if we're going to have an abundant life, somebody has to pay for that death. And God has made a way for Jesus to be the one to die in our place so that we no longer have to experience separation. Last year when we talked about the life of Jesus, we talked about how those moments on the cross when Jesus was bearing the punishment for sin, he was ripped away from his relationship with the Father and the Spirit. The Trinity was torn apart because Jesus was suffering that separation that as a punishment on our behalf so that we never have to. We can be in communion again with God. We can be in relationship. We can have a knowing personal relationship with him. And so that leads us to the last word, which is saved. 
God invites us to receive Jesus as our personal Savior and Lord. John 1.12, But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And Ephesians 8 and 9, For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. It's a gift. But it's a gift received by faith. It's a gift that's being handed to us. Jesus has already done it. It happened in history, but it's ours if we believe, if we just agree with him. If we just say, you know, God, I know you love me. I know that you have a better life for me, a life of knowing you, a life that's abundant. But I know I've got this problem with sin. I'm independent, self-sufficient. I want to have the reins of my own life. I don't want to give you the reins. I'm holding on. And, and that separates us from him relationally and spiritually. But he's already made a way through that because Jesus died on the cross for our sins so that we never would have to separate from him. And all he says is just agree with me. Just agree with me that I did this for you. That's all. Belief, faith, it's just saying, I agree. Yes, you're right. And then he gives us the gift of the Holy Spirit who comes to dwell within us, who opens our eyes to understand more things. Scripture comes alive. We're never alone. We have the gift of, of God with us, in us, guiding us, leading us, listening as we pray, answering prayer. It's a whole different life. It's the abundant life of living in a knowing relationship with God. You know, I grew up, and I had a deep understanding of God's existence. From the time I was a little girl, my mom and dad took me to church, and it was a very traditional church, and so I learned Bible stories, and my mom read me Bible stories at night when I went to bed. I, I started to know about God from the time I was a little girl. And I agreed. Of course, I just, God exists. That wasn't so hard to understand. I even wrestled at night with the Trinity. I tried to figure out, okay, how does this all work? I don't know three in one. That's confusing to me. But I thought about it. So I had information about God, and it, I agreed with that information. And then as I was growing up, I had some experiences with God, one of the most Profound experiences with just riding my horse in Montana, being out in nature and seeing the beauty all around me and having this powerful horse underneath me, carrying me along and, and knowing um, my relationship with my horse actually brought me closer with God. And I had a lot of different experiences that helped me know God experientially. But you know, as I got into college and as I, well, high school and college, I... Um, I really had the reins of my life in my own hands. I didn't really know much about what the Bible said about how to live. I didn't know how to be obedient. I didn't even know what God, what his instructions were to me because I never read the Bible. It didn't really make a lot of sense to me. I knew God existed, but I didn't really have much instruction for my life. And, and I just kind of went with whatever the world says. And then I got into college and I, that independence and that self-sufficiency started to, to turn itself into fun and fun-loving and things that were sinful and Pretty soon into my last year of college, I realized I was empty, I was hollow, I was um, kind of chewed up and spit out, and I was just at the end of that. Like, that wasn't fulfilling at all. But I remembered that I knew a lot about God, I'd experienced a lot about God, I had a lot of people sharing things about God with me, 
And so I actually gave God the reins. I said, okay, now you ride the horse. I'm giving up. And I decided to follow him. I submitted my life to him. And he was so gracious to me. He surrounded me with Christian friends. He brought me to a church that taught the Bible so I could understand it. He brought me to a Bible study like this where I could learn, be with other women, and just kind of be on a safe journey and be inspired. And he spoke to me every week in different ways. And then I look back, and it's been 36 years since I made that decision. I've never turned back. And it's been an amazing adventure. Highs and lows, pains and sorrows, but all along the way, a covering of grace and hope and trust. And he has just shown himself to be so faithful. Every single time I trust him, he's been trustworthy. Every time he's called me to step out in faith, he's been faithful. And he's brought me to places I'd never dreamed of going and adventures I never dreamed of having. And just a life in him that's an eternal life that started really relationally 36 years ago. So if you know him in this way, that's awesome. I celebrate that with you. I hope that you're giving him the reins and allowing him to lead your life. Some of you actually might be in a little tug of war right now with those reins. You want him to take the lead, but you also kind of want to hold on. And I want to encourage you just to let go, let him have the reins. But for some of you, you don't know him in this way. And and I'd really like to pray for us. If you, if you know him, pray with me and praise him. If you're struggling with him, just talk to him about that as I'm praying. But if you don't know him, I wonder if you might take this as an opportunity to just agree. Say, I get it. I want to have this kind of life with you. I want to know you, God, through your son, Jesus Christ. Let me pray. Father, I just thank you so much for how much you love us. None of us are here by mistake. You love us in such a way that you have drawn us to this place and to this time. Your love is so great that your desire is that none should perish, but all should know you and have eternal life. Thank you, Lord, for the ability to live a life in a knowing relationship with you here on earth. What a gift that is. And we just confess to you that We are sinful beings. We are so self-centered. We have made so many mistakes. We have struggled with you at times, and we have exerted our own will over yours, and we've just at times made a mess of our lives. Would you forgive us of that, Lord? Would you please just forgive us, have mercy on us? Our desire is to turn from that and turn to you. Lord, we repent. I pray that you would would see our hearts and know that that is truly how we feel in this moment, that we want to give ourselves to you. We're so thankful that Jesus came in human flesh, that he embodied humanity and he showed us who you are, that he was willing to die on a cross for our sins. It's amazing that you love us so much that you would send your own son to die on a cross for us so that we never have to be separated from you relationally, spiritually. Lord, we can be in union with you. We can have a knowing relationship with you. And all we need to do is just agree with you about that. So Lord, we agree. We're so thankful. And we praise you that we have the hope of eternal life now and forever to live in relationship with you. We want to praise you and thank you for your goodness to us and help us, Lord. Could you give us your Holy Spirit 
so that we can, we can live this life of faith. We can understand your word that it might come alive to us, that we can feel the promptings of your Holy Spirit when you're asking us to obey and that we would have courage to step out in faith and at times do the hard things. So we thank you for your goodness and your grace, for your word, and for the fact that you are knowable and you love us so. It's in your name we pray. Amen.